Welcome to Life Church. My name is Dylan Johnston, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, we're going to be taking communion at the conclusion of our message together. And so if you want to, at this time, you can go ahead and prepare your elements by grabbing a piece of bread, uh, maybe a grape, some grape juice, whatever you're going to be participating with us in and, and utilizing today to take communion. You can go ahead and prep that if you will. Today, we are continuing our series, Summer at Life Church. And I want to thank Pastor Aaron for giving me the opportunity to speak. And we're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Now, I don't know about you, but, but growing up, I always saw these commercials. And these commercials would be uh, particularly for um, older people, specifically for people that may live on their own as an elder. And, and there would be commercials with uh, an older person, maybe in their 70s or 80s, doing just a mundane task. Maybe it's washing the dishes. Uh, maybe it's doing laundry or just walking down the stairs. And all of a sudden, the commercial would take a sharp left turn for the worse. Uh, the elderly person would fall to the ground, and they would have no one to help them up. They, they would have no one to come to their aid or to rescue them or to pick them back up on their feet. Uh, and just, before, ju just when you thought they were going to be left lying there on the ground, they pressed the button. And when they pressed that button, they would then say, help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. I don't know if you've ever seen these commercials, but they're commercials for Life Alert. Life Alert was this massively popular, and I think it's still around brand, that was there in aid to help people who had no one else to help. Now, I uh, do think I am considerably younger than some of those people in the commercials, and so I've not yet had to use the Life Alert button for that specific purpose. B but let me help you out. There are some things in life that I have pressed the proverbial Life Alert button for. Uh, for example, my wife and I just bought a house, and I have been nonstop pressing life alert to try to get people to help me understand what I need to do. I realized, uh, as, as this is my very first house, I've never had to trim hedges before. I, I saw that my hedges were overgrown, and I pressed life alert and called someone and said, hey, I don't have a, a, a hedger. I don't, I don't have anything to trim these with. I, could you show me how? And uh, someone came to my rescue. I've, I've been walking through my house and I've been asking about these outlets and this paint and this thing and, and I will press life alert and call someone that knows what they're doing and I obviously do not. Not only that, my wife and I were about to have our first kid and so I've been nonstop pressing life alert. Uh, maybe better yet, my wife has been nonstop pressing life alert. She's been in Facebook groups asking questions. What do I buy for this? What do I do for this? How, how do we make our son comfortable? How, how does this work? What, what are they sleeping? What are they sleeping when they're this age? Uh, how, when do their sleeping schedules regulate? And, and so we've been nonstop pressing life alert. Not only that, when I first moved out of my parents' house, I remember pressing life alert to call my mom or my dad for maybe a specific recipe to help me season chicken so it didn't taste like a piece of cardboard. Or, or maybe it was pressing life alert because I, uh, I, I didn't know how to, to set up my Wi-Fi or I, I didn't know how to necessarily uh, haggle with the phone bills and all of the stuff that came along with it. That all throughout my life, I have been pressing life alert to call people in my most dire times of need. Maybe you're like that too. 
Maybe your, your life is in a situation right now where uh, it's more dire than simply trying to trim hedges or paint walls or change outlets or get a bassinet or get a crib on time for when the baby arrives. Maybe for you, life has taken some sharp turns lately. Maybe for you, there's been some significant bad seasons of life that have hit you over and over and over again to where it feels like you are in a nonstop valley. Maybe for you in this season and in this time, it appears as if there's, there's, there's nothing good that can happen and God is uh, maybe absent from your life. And today you're sitting in this service and you're just consistently pressing life alert, hoping that someone will come to your aid as you say, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Help, my marriage is on the brink of divorce and we can't resolve. Help, my child has run away from God and I don't know what to do. Help, I feel like I failed as a parent and I don't know how to fix that. Help, I, I, I feel like I've um, ostracized myself from everyone around me that I love and care about deeply and I don't know how to fix it. Help, I, I, I can't figure this out on my own. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. I, I want to talk to you a message today that I've titled um, Life Alert. Very simply, Life Alert. For I think that there's times in our life, maybe for you right now, right here, uh, when you need to press the Life Alert button, but it appears that no one is coming. There's a story in John chapter 11 that's very much like that exact experience. John chapter 11 writes about uh, this, this family. It's Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, um, who are very dear friends of Jesus. Very dear friends. Some of the closest friends that Jesus has outside of his disciples. Um, and, and Lazarus is very sick. Very sick. And in John chapter 11, it kind of opens right there. And I want us to walk through the, the passage here today. We'll kind of do some reading and then I'll explain some of the in-between stuff and then we'll read some more. At the very conclusion, I'll give us a few points that can apply directly to our lives. But I think that this story of Lazarus with Mary and Martha uh, reaching out to Jesus for help, proverbially press, pressing life alert um, on this situation and calling for aid, saying, help, our brother's sick and he can't get up. I think that there's some very applicable things that can uh, go directly to our life and translate specifically to the situations you may find yourself in today. So here in John chapter 11, it reads like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. The, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, real quick, pause. Uh, I find it interesting that in this very opening of the passage, the writer John, uh, the disciple of Jesus, writes that, uh, that, that, that Mary and Martha requested Jesus' help by saying, the one you love is sick. If you know much about the Gospel of John, John often refers to himself as the beloved disciple, John the beloved. As he's writing about encounters with Jesus and following Jesus, when he would write about disciples and them eating dinner with Jesus, he would say that the beloved has reclined next to Jesus or the beloved was walking next to Jesus. And when he does that, John's writing about himself. 
John, I guess, had a very high esteemed view of his and Jesus' relationship. And yet I find it interesting that though he referred to himself that way, when he recounts the, recounts the story of Mary and Martha soliciting Jesus' help, the same type of verbiage is used for Mary and Martha to request the help of Jesus for their brother Lazarus. They say, Lord, the one you love is sick. It should be noted that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were some of Jesus' closest friends, as I already mentioned. Jesus would eat multiple meals with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He would spend time at their house. They were in close quarters and close relationship with one another. And that is how they solicited his help. And yet, if you continue reading in that passage, when they ask for his help, he waits. He doesn't immediately jump off of wherever he is and go towards them. He doesn't immediately get up and run to help them. He doesn't get the call that they have a flat tire and run out to the highway to fix it so that they're not left stranded. No, Jesus waits. Jesus waits, which I find interesting as in other areas of the Gospels, we see Jesus not just taking time for one, but taking time for multitudes, not just taking time for people he knew, but taking time for people he's never met before. You you can see in John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, now while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. In John chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Uh, over and over, Jesus would heal the sick. He would multiply food for the thousands. He saved a lady from being executed by the religious men of the day. He went and spent time with a woman at the well just to give her the revelation that he was the Messiah. These are all people he had never met before, those specific encounters. And yet to these people who called Jesus their close friends, who solicited his help by saying, the one you love is sick, Jesus waits. You see, a few days go by before Jesus even goes to Mary and Martha's aid, before Jesus even goes to Lazarus. And when he arrives, Lazarus is dead. Verse 21, uh, Martha runs out to meet Jesus and says this statement. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now, I know even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I can only imagine that Martha had heard. Um, she had heard of Jesus and, and the, the widow of Nain, whose son had passed away and the funeral procession was leaving um, the venue of the funeral and uh, maybe going towards the tomb. And Jesus stops them. He talks to the widow and asks why she's crying. He lays a hand on the, the, the thing that is, uh, that is containing the son's body and speaks life into him and the son rises to life again. I can only imagine that Martha had heard the story of Jairus' daughter who Jesus, as he's on the way to heal Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his cloak, is immediately healed from her malady that had maimed her for 12 long years, was completely healed. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go your way and sin no more. He goes on to Jairus' daughter. He uh, sees all of these people that are crying, ushers them out of the room, says she's just sleeping, and he raises her from the dead. So I can see as Martha encounters Jesus here 
spirit in this moment. She says, Lord, um, had you been here earlier, my brother would not have died. You could have healed him while he was still alive. You could have gotten rid of his sickness. But according to my faith, I even now know that nothing is impossible. And God will do whatever you ask. I love that though Martha understands that Jesus has the power to literally do the impossible and raise the dead, she doesn't quite even ask that. She just has a glimpse and a glimmer of hope. And and what you see in the next few verses is Jesus and Martha going back and forth discussing how Lazarus will be raised from the dead. It appears as though in the conversation that Martha grasped onto the fact that there will come one day. It's kind of this, this belief that at the end of time, the, the believers in Christ will be raised from the dead and we will spend eternity with God in heaven forever. And, and Martha's holding on to that belief, but Jesus continually puts forth to her that, that there is a resurrection coming for Lazarus. And, and they seem to be on two different pages until Jesus says this one statement that is a staple statement in the story of Jesus and in the narrative of our Savior. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Just moments later, Mary is summoned and Mary is a feeler for sure, and and you see Mary run out to Jesus and almost say the exact same words that Martha said. "Uh, Jesus, had you been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. I find it interesting, though, um, the the verse does not record her saying anything uh, with an amount of hope, but rather um, you can gather through the verses that she has this immense sadness and this immense amount of, of, of despair. She's sobbing and crying in the midst of her tears. She says, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. And the verse says that because of the way Mary felt, Jesus was deeply moved. See, prior to this, you could even imagine that Mary and Martha had the conversation when they had sent word to Jesus, and they had expected Jesus to arrive the first day, and he hadn't arrived, and they maybe had the conversation, what's so time-consuming? What's so important that he's putting us off? The next day goes by, and they're continuing the conversation, and they they wake up, and they don't see Jesus. They're ready to save their, their brother who's dying, and they say, does he even care anymore? Are we even his friends? Did all of that time spent with him mean absolutely nothing? And maybe today you find yourself asking that question of, I've been to church, I've given in the offerings, I've given to missions, I've gone on mission trips, I've tried to serve, I've tried to love Jesus, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Does it even matter anymore? I can only imagine that's the same exact way that Mary and Martha felt. And you kind of see that bleed out of Mary as she's just sobbing uncontrollably. If had you been here, Jesus... Had you showed up, God, had you done what you said you would do, had you been faithful to your word? And while we can think sometimes that Jesus doesn't care here in this moment, we see that Jesus is deeply moved. He's deeply moved. I love that John records that. Not only does he record that, but Jesus then says, take me to Lazarus' tomb. And you see there as people are crying and people are weeping and people are in despair. And Jesus, the Savior of the world, he's God in flesh, is standing there, power to do whatever he wants to. He's been deeply moved. He's staring at the tomb where his friend lies next to the Mary and Martha who are crying and who are in despair. And his 
says two of the most powerful words in the entire Bible, Jesus wept. John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. His humanity is on full display. His sadness due to the loss of a friend, his, his feelings of feeling the hurt of those around him is so overcoming. You see Jesus brought to tears. I, I absolutely love that the Bible included this. I'm so grateful that John included that Jesus wept because now I know that in my deepest moments of despair, Jesus has felt that pain. Jesus has felt that overcoming sense of grieving, of despair, of sadness, of depression. Jesus staring at his dead friend's tomb, staring at Mary and Martha who were crying and overcome with sadness. Jesus moved to a deeply troubled state, weeps. Jesus doesn't just experience the pain of losing a friend. He feels the pain of those around him, which brings me to this, Jesus is not absent from your pain. The pain you're experiencing today as you watch this, he's, he's not absent. He's not in some ethereal plane up in heaven that is completely detached from your existence, but Jesus is sitting in the midst of your pain with you, and Jesus weeps, Jesus grieves, Jesus feels, Jesus is overcome, and Jesus is there. For even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not fear, for God is with you. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 4 says there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Paul writes years later in one of the letters to the churches, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Jesus embodied all of that and had compassion and empathy for those around him, and yet at the same time had deeply troubled feelings of his own, and he wept. And so today you may feel alone, but just know Jesus is with you. And I want to read to you some of the concluding verses of this chapter and give you just three points to take away today. It continues in verse 39, and Jesus, after weeping, he says, Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those, uh, of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. L listen, friends. Today, Jesus doesn't just uh, ignore your pain. He sits in your pain. He feels your pain. And Jesus doesn't just sit in your pain with you, but he has the power to change the pain that you are experiencing and bring life once again. Here's just three quick things I want to pull for you today. First thing I see in this, in, this, in this chapter and in this passage is that death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. I get it. That's not a hopeful thing. That's not something that brings life to you in this moment that makes your heart jump and leap for sounds of joy. But listen, people will die. Dreams will die. Things will not go as planned. And, and I don't say this to scare you. Rather, I say this to you so you're not completely caught off guard. I've never met a single person in my life who had a perfect experience here on this planet. 
never experienced the death of something, and never had true sadness, depression, and anguish. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And if we're being honest today, there's probably some of us, many of us, who um, during the season we've been experiencing death. Maybe for you that season has been relatively prolonged. And it doesn't just seem like Jesus has been absent for a, year, for a day or two days or three days. But for years, it seems as if your life alert button has not been working. You've fallen, you can't get up, and God is completely absent from willing to help you. Jesus tells us that death, problems, issues, they're inevitable. You're not alone, though. We're all experiencing the pain. We're all experiencing the groans of this earth, the, the, the pain of this earth that is attempting to be reconciled to a Savior and to a God who created it. Death is inevitable. The second thing we see, though, is um, that death stinks. It's not good. No one enjoys it. I love that uh, one of the sisters say that there's a bad odor. There, there's a stench that arises. There, there's, it stinks, man. This isn't good. This is terrible. This stinks. There's a bad odor. It's painful. Your pain is real. There are side effects. It smells awful. It may wreak havoc in other areas of your life. It's not enjoyable. It may make life uncomfortable. It may ruin your mornings and ruin your sleep. It may be something that throws you off completely. Death absolutely, positively stinks. The death of your dreams bleeds over into the death of your success. The death of a family member bleeds over into the death of your enjoyment. There's death that is, it, it, it just stinks, man. And I know that can be a funny point, but I make it to recognize that your situation may be completely joyless right now. The death of one thing or area of your life may bleed over into other areas. But can I say this, just what I see here in this passage and what gets me excited and what gives me a little bit of joy and a little pep in my step is this final point today. What I see here in this passage, what I see in the story of Jesus, what I know through the Gospels, what I know through Romans 3, 23, 6, 23, 5, 8, and Romans chapter 10 is that death does not have the final word. Death doesn't have the final word. For though you may be experiencing death right now, it doesn't have the final word. This is the promise of Jesus when he's saying to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And though, you're, though your brother may be dead right now, he will not be dead forever. There is life that is coming. There is life that is coming. This is what Jesus is all about, that dead things be brought to life again. So I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know the pain that you are enduring. I don't know the struggles that you're overcome with in this moment, but I do know there there is life and life abundantly that our Savior, Jesus Christ, brings life to you and to me. He brings life to dead dreams. He brings joy to joyless hearts. He brings, he, he brings hope to hopeless areas. He restores our souls and rejuvenates our lives. That's the promise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Life may not mean, always mean that everything is restored the way it was before, but life means and Jesus means that there is life that is available to you. Never discount the beauty of life eternal. While we're consistently consumed with our life that is, is very temporal, let us never discount the beauty of life eternal with Jesus. 
The resurrection and life of Jesus is what lifts our souls through the dark times. It enables us to keep moving forward and challenges us not to give in when life gets difficult and the going gets tough. You see this, the resurrection of Lazarus was but a glimpse of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This, this was but a foreshadowing moment. This was but a, a preview, if you will, of, of, of a movie trailer showing that, that there is power to raise the dead. There is power that regardless of what your Jewish law states, that, that we can raise the dead whenever we want to, Jesus says, because I am God. And, and, and though I may die, and though I will go to the grave, and though I will go to the tomb, and though I'll be in there for a few days, I will rise again, and there will be life available to you. You see, this story, it's not just a standalone. It's a preview to the story of Jesus who will live, die, and rise again to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, it's not just for one man in the Old Testament, but it's for all people of all times, of all nations, of all tribes, of all backgrounds, of all ethnicities, of all languages, of all colors, of all people groups. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and it's available to you today. To everyone watching this, it's available to you. I don't know what dead things you may have carried into this message today, but I do know this. Jesus provides life again. Maybe today you brought dead dreams. Maybe today you have a hope that is completely dried up and it's died. Maybe you have a dead career and you don't know which way to turn anymore. Maybe for you it's a literal death in your family or close to you. Maybe for you it's the, the death of what you thought was going to work. Maybe for you it's the death of a relationship. Maybe for you it's the death of something that you held near and dear. And if we're just being honest today, it stinks. But there is a life. There is a resurrection. For death does not have the final word over your, over your life or over your situation. Death is not the final say. And just like with Lazarus, just like in our lives, Jesus is able to speak to our situations and to our lives and breathe the breath of life again. Death doesn't have the final word. You see, I, I really only brought this message for one purpose today, and that is to bring you hope. That there can be a better tomorrow. There can be a restoration. There, there can be a reconfiguration of your soul and of your life. And there can be life once more. Though it may feel dead and dried up, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That invitation is available to you today. And that invitation is available to us. Will you accept it? The resurrection and the life. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we love you and we thank you and we give you all glory and honor and praise. And today we celebrate that you are the resurrection and the life. There is nobody like you and no one beside you. There's no one greater than you. Lord, and even though our situation may absolutely stink today, we know that you bring life and you bring resurrection. And so we surrender our death, we surrender our dead lives, we surrender our dead dreams, and we ask that you would take them, renew them, resolve them, restore them, bring life again, bring hope again, bring joy again, and bring us a life brand new. As in John chapter 10, verse 10, you say that you have come to bring life and life to the fullest. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Today we're going to take in communion. I, I let you know of that ahead of time. And I ask that you get your, your bread and your cup available. And so today I ask that you take the bread in your hand. For in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and the church of Corinth. And he's recounting the story of when Jesus takes communion with his disciples just the night before he would be crucified. And he, he reads it like this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here at Life Church, we practice open communion where we give you the opportunity. If As long as you're following Jesus, we invite you to participate in communion with us. And in doing so, we are uh, consuming and following what Jesus told us to, which is to celebrate his life, death, burial, and resurrection. So today, if that's you, would you, as Jesus instructed the disciples to do, as Paul instructed to the church of Corinth, would you take the bread in remembrance of him? In the same way, verse 25 continues, after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you take the cup? The verse, the verse concludes in verse 26 and it says this, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today in our message, it was a message about life, about death, and about resurrection. And in taking communion today, we celebrated that availability in our lives today through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Today I want to pray over you and then our, uh, we're going to sing a song together. And I invite you to sing along with us and celebrate the glory of what Jesus has done with us. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus on the cross. We thank you that you were willing to go to great extents to save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And today, Lord, by taking the bread and taking the cup, we commemorate, we remember, and we celebrate the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So today, God, not with somber hearts, but with joyous hearts, not with downtrodden spirits, but with uplifted spirits, we sing our praises to you, we sing our, our, our celebration to you, we give praise to you, and we elevate your name today. We give you all glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.